0: Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there's no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what, we've, what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be to God. So last week we finished a series called Gospel Intentionality. And that was a series on what do Christians do? How do we live intentionally as believers in a world that is sometimes hostile, usually ambivalent to what Christians believe and and, and who we are. And this week, we're launching, I'm just kind of catapulting a new series because I'm not preaching the next five weeks, Um, but I'm going to jump back in on the second half of this where it gets exciting. It's exciting all the way through, but the, the first part's also exciting. And it's called the Apostles' Creed. Now, if you're not familiar with the Apostles' Creed, the Apostles' Creed is one of the earliest summaries of the gospel in the world that exists. Just like the gospel intentionality series was what do do Christians do, the Apostles' Creed series is what do Christians believe. What do we do and what do we believe? It's so important what we believe. This is kind of like a cliff notes for the entire New Testament. The Apostles' Creed is a really special creed. It it was started sometime in the 2nd century. You can find quotations of it throughout the 2nd century. It seems to be something that people have been reciting for thousands of years, for at least 2,000 years here. People have been reciting this creed. Millions upon millions of believers have said these words in this creed is one of the most succinct summaries of what we believe. It's nourished every generation of Christians from the 2nd century until today. Martin Luther says this about the Apostles' Creed. He says, although I'm indeed an old doctor, I never move on from the childish doctrine of the Ten Commandments and the Apostles' Creed and the Lord's Prayer. I still learn them and pray them with my little Hans and my little Lena. You know, there's a temptation in Christianity and in everything in the world, to be drawn to what's new and what's flashy. What seems to be new? What seems to be flashy? What's drawing me in? When oftentimes we need to go back to the old things to get true richness. I love the way that C.S. Lewis puts it. He says, every age has its its own outlook. It is especially good at seeing certain truths and especially liable to make certain mistakes. And so just because we live in this century in this day and age, we cannot assume that we have a corner on the truth. We cannot assume that we've got anything more figured out than all of those saints and believers who've gone before us. In fact, our day and age paints itself with a certain cultural context that makes certain truths more difficult for us to understand. And so to think that we are, some for some reason, smarter than every human that's existed before us is chronological snobbery to think that we're better in one way or another. It's pride. Sometimes we need to go back to the ancient, timeless truths that we have in the scriptures and that are summarized in the Apostles' Creed. After all, if the Star Wars movies taught us nothing, they taught us this. New is not always better. Not always better. So whether you're exploring Christianity or you're a mature believer trying to grow in your faith, the Apostles' Creed is helpful. So what is it? It's this ancient creed that's been around since the 2nd century, but it's widely accepted as one of the best summaries of the entire Bible. It has everything in it. So let me read it for us real quickly. And we're just going to focus in on one little paragraph at a time, one little statement at a time. Today, all we're talking about are the first two words of the Apostles' Creed. Uh, but we're going to be walking through it over the next 11 weeks. I'm going to read the whole thing. If you grew up in certain church traditions, this is going to just flow off the tip of your tongue. So if you know it, you can say it with me. That's fine. Uh, But if you don't, that's fine also. Just, Just listen to the summary. It goes like this. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Now, as you read that, there's probably questions coming to your mind. What do these certain words mean? What does this what does it mean when he says the Holy Catholic Church? I thought we were a Protestant church. What does it mean when it says that he descended into hell? What do these things mean? You just have to keep coming. I'm not going to explain the whole thing to you today. That's why we're doing a whole series. I'm going to focus today on I believe. I believe all of Christianity is built off of this. I believe at the heart of who we are as Christians is a belief. It's a faith. And so let's examine belief. First thing I want to point out is that we all believe something. It's very trendy today for our friends and neighbors to maybe say, I don't believe in anything, but I just don't buy it. They might, think, they might say that because they don't think about God very often. They don't think about eternal things very often. But everyone believes in something. Everyone believes in some right or wrong, some way of living. Everyone has beliefs. I, I walk around my block pretty regularly with my dog. She doesn't get more than that. She gets one block, okay? Uh, but I've walked other places in Somerville, and a sign that's twice on my block, and much more often than that throughout the neighborhood, is this sign that's outside of people's houses that has a belief statement on it. You know how I know it's a belief statement? Because it says, in this house we believe. There's your creed. It's a secular creed that they're putting out there for you. And it goes something like this. It says, in this house we believe that black lives matter. Love is love. Women's rights are human rights. We are all immigrants. Diversity makes us stronger. That is what Rebecca McLaughlin, who's a prolific author, she's great. She lives in Cambridge, actually. Um, she's, uh, she wrote a book called The Secular Creed, and she examines each one of those statements. It's actually a fantastic book. I would recommend it to you. If, if you read that sign and you're like, man, what do I do with that? As a Christian, I agree with some of those things. I don't know about other things. I'm not sure. This is a great book for you to pick up. She actually quotes it and, and talks about it like this. She says... Seeing signs like this, Christians tend to grab hammers. Some grab a hammer to drive the sign into their own lawn. They lament racial injustice. They believe in diversity. They know women are equal to men. And they've been taught that affirming gay relationships, trans identities, and pro-choice positions come part and parcel with these other things. If black lives matter, which they surely do, then love of all kinds must be love. Others take up hammers with a different plan. Knowing that the Bible rejects some things that underlie this modern creed, they swing a hammer to flatten the sign. Perhaps not literally, but in their hearts and minds. If these things, if these ideas stand together, they must all be wrong. And what she points out throughout the book is that many of these ideas that come in this secular creed are actually just Christianity, values of Christianity being twisted and and borrowed from to create this new Western religion, that is secular religion, that we have today. It's a a helpful book. I'd recommend you pick it up. But if belief is core to who we are as Christians, we have to consider these barriers to belief, these things that keep us from believing. What are the things that keep us from believing in the gospel? We all have beliefs. What are the things that keep us from believing the truth about who Jesus is? One barrier to belief in God is the claim that Christianity is naive and irrational. There's this powerful narrative that gets passed around. And you guys have heard something like this before where you have a friend who says, Yeah, I used to believe in Christianity, but then I grew up and I realized that it was all just fairy tales. Now that sounds really appealing. It sounds like that person's reached maturity. But it's just a story. They have no reasoning for their actual growing up, no reasoning why they think that it's fairy tales. It's just this cultural story that they've bought into and that they've placed themselves in that part of the story. That I'm more mature because I've rejected my faith. Those people that say that have rarely, I've found, dealt with the actual facts, the actual evidences for Christ and for our faith. When you look at the claims of Christianity, specifically the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, there's really good history to believe in this. There's really good reasons that we believe in our faith. Our God may be invisible, but our faith is not blind. Our God may be invisible, but our faith is not blind. There are reasons. Just because you believe in God does not mean that you believe in fairy tales. You believe in God because there is rational reason to believe in God, and he's revealed himself to us. You believe in God because it's historical reality that God sent his son Jesus into the world. No one says that Jesus was a legend. Almost all historians that are worth their weight in <laughs> salt would say that Jesus was a real person who really walked the earth. Now, who is that Jesus? He claimed to be God. So he can't be just a good teacher. If he claimed to be God, you're either a a lunatic or you actually are who you said you are. There's many other evidences to think that Jesus was who he said he was. But what I'm trying to teach you is that our God may be invisible, but our faith is not blind. And so this barrier to belief that, you know, it's just fairy tales, I don't believe in that type of thing. It's a barrier that has not been inspected, usually. Usually. It's a barrier that has not been inspected. Christian belief is not an irrational leap into the dark. Ben Myers says it like this. He wrote a little book on the Apostles' Creed that's very helpful. helpful. It says, it is more like tasting a dish that you've never tried. You've seen other people enjoying it. You have read the reviews. The chef swears you'll like it. There are good grounds for trusting, but you will never know for sure until you do. Then he quotes Psalm 34, taste and see that the Lord is good. That is what faith is. Faith is placing your trust in this thing that you might not have ever experienced before, but saying, I think that this is the right option. I'm going to try it. Another barrier that we sometimes come against with belief is competing beliefs. A few years ago, uh, some of you actually, I think Mark was in my community group when this happened, Mark and I have been in a community group for a long time together uh, at, at different times. But there was a guy in our community group who, who was really smart, or at least really, he thought he was really smart. He was really smart. Um, but he would, he would come, and we were really thankful that he was there. He was not a Christian. Uh, he was just coming because it was the only place that he had, like, real conversations about life. And so he was glad to be able to come and have a real conversation that wasn't about football or, or whatever his friends were talking about at the time. And um, he, when you asked him what he believed, he liked to fashion himself as like a connoisseur. And so, w- what it actually sounded like when he described his beliefs is what my plate looks like when I go to an all-you-can-eat buffet. You guys remember those from before the pandemic? Right. Like I would get like salmon and Jello at the same time, along with some lasagna, and that would be that would be what I would eat. And so you can have a little bit of it all, uh, but these things don't go together. And so when you ask him what he believes, he would would kind of posit this thing that was like one part Christianity, one part Judaism, one part Christian hedonism, one part, uh, not Christian hedonism, just hedonism, excuse me, Uh, one part uh, like utilitarian philosophy, one part Buddhism, and you look at it all and you're like, ugh, these things don't go together. It's not going to work. You see, he had gotten to this point where he's like, I see the whole picture, and I've got this figured out. And it's really kind of a prideful thing to say that. Because when you say that, you're saying, I've got something figured out that's the true way that no one else has ever figured out until now. You see, you can't just fashion. You can't do an a la carte belief system. These things work together. And so we have these competing beliefs that get in the way. Another barrier to faith is sin. Sin is blinding and it hardens the heart. People will believe whatever they want to believe if it supports the way they want to behave. People will believe whatever they want to believe if it supports the way they want to act. Over the years, I've seen a lot of people walk away from the faith. And some of these have been sadder than others. But when you find a man who leaves his wife and four kids to run away with his young intern to go to Cancun, when this man all of a sudden starts having intellectual doubts about his faith, I'm not surprised. He's finding anything, his heart's looking for anything that will support the way that his sin wants him to act and live. Because sin is blinding, and it hardens your heart. Romans 1.21 puts it like this. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Now, back up just a second. Listen to what he said. They knew God, yet they did not honor God. That means that everyone knows God, yet they deny him. And as they deny God, they become futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts are darkened. So because their foolish hearts were darkened, their thinking became futile. When you live in sin, it affects the way you think. (laughs) You don't think straightly. You don't think correctly. A surefire way to start having doubts about God is to live in sin. A surefire way to start doubting your faith is to live in sin, is to ignore what the Bible has to teach you on any topic. Another barrier to belief is that they simply haven't heard, and our passage talks about that pretty clearly. A lot of times people aren't denying God based upon the fact that they've heard the gospel, but just because they haven't ever heard it. They don't know it. Verse, uh, chapter 10, verse 14, we just read this. It says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him in whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Friends, you can't believe anything that you've never heard. And I wonder how prevalent this is actually the barrier in our culture and in our neighborhood. How many of our neighbors are denying Christ because they've been offered the gospel and it didn't sound good to them? Or how many of our neighbors are denying Christ because they have a preconceived notion of what the gospel is based upon what they see on popular TV or based upon what they've seen in their childhood, but they've never been offered the gospel of grace and kindness and truth, the God that we all know and we love. This is probably the most prevalent of any of the barriers to believe. There's probably a lot more barriers to believe, but I'm going to end there for right now. So I want to talk about how we believe in God. How do you believe in God? What is belief? People say, I believe for all kinds of different things. Some people say, I believe in UFOs. And so what does that mean? How does belief function there? If you say, I believe in UFOs, what do you mean? You're meaning, I believe UFOs are real. At the same time, some people might say, I believe in democracy. Now, are those people saying, I believe democracy is real? No! Of course they believe democracy is real. What they're saying is, I stand by democracy. I think it's best. I think it's just. That's what I believe in. That's what I want to support. So what does it mean when someone says, I believe in God? The Greek word that we use to translate belief is pistos. And... Pistos can be translated as either faith or belief or trust. And I think in our cultural climate, trust is probably the best one. Think about what you trust, who you trust, and how you trust things. It's an active thing. It's not just something you do passively. It's not merely that you believe in democracy, but it's that you trust democracy when you say, I believe in democracy. And so when you say, I believe in God, it's not saying I merely believe in God's existence. You're saying, I trust in God. I trust that he is sufficient for me. I'm placing my life in his hands. Have you done that? Have you trusted him with your life? You see, faith is not just a one-time event, although it does often come at one point. And so if you're, if you're circling the wagon on faith, just not sure if you're ready to buy into this thing, the call of Jesus is open, saying, place your faith in him. Trust in him. It is something you must do. You must actively say, I will trust you and allow him to affect you. But beyond that, faith is not just a one-time thing. Faith is something we must continually do. I love this story in Scripture where this father is coming to Jesus, asking that he would heal his son. And and Jesus says, all things are possible for the one who believes. And the father says, I believe, help my unbelief. You see, belief is a battle. We have to fight against our sin and unbelief. All sin comes from the fact that we don't believe that God is good and gracious and great. And so we start trusting in these things that we think will satisfy us because we don't trust that he will satisfy. And so we have to say, God, help my unbelief. I'm going to place my faith in you. I will trust you. The scripture teaches that faith is both a gift from God and a choice that we make ourselves. That's a wonderful tension. It's a divine mystery that we have here. Because Ephesians 2 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, And this is not your own doing. It's a gift of God. It's a beautiful thing. What this means is that there is not a soul on this planet who is beyond hope. There is not a soul on this planet who God could not save. If you have anyone in your mind who you're like, that person could never come to know Christ, that's because you're believing that faith is something that we drum up. But no, faith is a gift. All of us are saved by grace through faith, which is a gift from God. It's not because we're the smartest bunch of people that have existed in Somerville. No, oftentimes God chooses to save those who are weakest. Faith is a gift, and it's something that we can trust him with, that he can give that gift. But also, faith is a choice. Because John 3.16 says it like this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And so faith is this thing that we both receive from God as a gift, and it's something we actively practice, saying, I will combat my unbelief, help my unbelief, God, at the same time, I will believe. But the good thing about Christianity, amidst all of these things, is that it's not dependent upon the strength of your faith. During the sabbatical, uh, Megan and I are, are going to Yosemite, uh, which is exciting. Uh, anybody ever been to Yosemite? A few folks. It's great. I've been a couple times. Um, I worked at a camp in California for two summers, so we would spend one day in Yosemite every summer, and we would just do half-dome. We'd hike all the way up to the half-dome and come down. And I, had a, I was telling a friend this story, he's like, that's like going to Disney World and riding Space Mountain and then leaving. Um, so I haven't gotten to experience a lot of uh, Yosemite. But in preparation for going to Yosemite, um, we've been watching all the mountain climbing documentaries, the rock climbing documentaries, like The Dawn Wall or Free Solo. I don't know if you guys have seen these. Free Solo's on Disney. The Dawn That one's great. The Dawn Wall is also fantastic. It's on Netflix. Great, great movies. And one of the moves that these mountain climbers do is they get to this part of the rock, and they call it... Um, oh... It, it just left me. The word just left me. But it's where you have to jump. Dino. Dino. It's called a dino. Yeah, so thank you, rock climbers. So it's where you actually have to push from one rock to grab onto another. And I'll <laughs> tell you what, when I'm watching them do this, they're doing it 1,500 feet in the air. It's insane what they're doing. When I watch them do it, I'm like, there's no way that I could jump and grab onto that ledge, and that ledge would hold me. Like, these guys are holding on to little slithers of rock, like this spot. is insane what they're doing. But these guys are doing it. And when you get to that place, you might look at it and say, I don't think that that can hold me. But, you take, but these guys, they, they're good enough to where they can take the leap, grab onto it, and it doesn't matter how much they believe it can hold them. The fact is, it's strong enough to hold them. You see, it's not the strength of their faith that keeps them on the wall, but the strength of the object of their faith, which is the rock itself. And the reason why they trust in this little ledge to hold them isn't because they've seen it themselves, but because other people have told them. They've seen other people do it. They've seen people grab onto that rock and it's held them. And so if you're here today, and you just haven't jumped, into faith and you're not sure if it's for you you're surrounded by people that have made that leap that have taken the jump and we're saying it's good guys god's grace is sufficient and it is great and let me encourage you it's time to make that leap and it might not feel like your faith is strong enough it might not feel like you can do it like the like the ledge is strong enough for you But the fact is, the object of your faith is strong enough. It can hold you. I love what our faith does for us. Because our faith gives us this righteousness of Christ. That means that we have access to God. John Stark, a pastor in New York, who I'm friends with, says, the same joy. And same benefits and the same strength that Christ himself enjoys and receives in his relationship with the Father are available to us in Christ. The same power to resist temptation, to love and to sacrifice that was available to Christ is available to us through faith. And one of the ways that God reinforces our faith, reminds us that he is faithful and he is good, is through a sacred meal. He invites us to believe again each week, to be reminded and welcomed to that access that we have through Christ in the communion meal. Um, Let us pray. God, thank you for this sacred meal. Thank you for this gift of faith. God, we pray that you would grow us in our faith. Help us to be people of deep faith. Give us a desire for the things of you. Help us to trust you. By showing that you are trustworthy, God, may we know more of your character. May we draw nearer to you. May the benefits of Christ's righteousness be applied to our sinful souls, that we have full access to God the Father, that we may sit on your throne, that we may taste of your goodness, that we may sing your praises. God, fill us with the Holy Spirit and help us to enjoy your presence. As we come to the table, God, do not leave us here alone, to sit with us, help us to trust in you today. To give up our lowly idols, things that we that combat our true belief in you, place our hope and faith in you, your